Discover FX's Shogun, the official podcast available now. Every legend begins with a story. Listen and explore episode by episode the story of war, passion, and power set in feudal Japan. Join host Emily Yoshida each week with the creators, cast, and crew in this exclusive companion podcast. They dive deep into the twists and turns of the plot, go behind the scenes, and explore the real-life history that informed the limited series based on James Clavell's best-selling novel. Search FX's Shogun wherever you listen to podcasts. Tax season is approaching, bringing potential extra cash your way. Rather than spending it all on an expensive deal filled with yada yada from your current wireless plan, consider switching to Metro by T-Mobile for no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada you don't take yada yada in life don't take yada yada from your wireless provider metro by t-mobile has no contracts no credit checks no surprises and nada yada yada stop by one of over six thousand metro stores nationwide this episode is brought to you by alienware during dell tech fest score game-changing innovations with limited time deals on select next-gen alienware gaming tech new dimensions await with advanced gaming systems like the alienware m18 laptop powered by an intel core i9 processor featuring awe-inspiring visuals liquid cooling three-dimensional audio with dolby atmos and impressive overclocking potential your dream setup amazing prices and free shipping await you for a limited time only at alienware Deals. That's alienware.com slash deals. Are you ready to move your career forward? Make your comeback with Purdue Global and get college credit for your work, school, life, or military experiences. With these credits, you may have already completed up to 75% of your undergraduate degree. You've worked hard to get where you are. It's time to get the recognition you deserve and earn a degree you'll be proud of. One that employers will trust and respect. When you take the next step in your life and career, make it count with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We are joined, as always, in spirit with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccan. Today, we are joined in person with our super producer, Seth Johnson, who you may recognize from earlier episodes. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. We're we're diving back into the storied world depicted in action and adventure films from the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. You know, the kind of national treasure, Indiana mm-hmm. Jones, Three Kings sort of vibe. You're going to steal the Declaration of Independence? No. No? Well, in, well, kind of. I mean, they're going to steal all kinds of treasure from countries across Europe. Gotcha. And wealth is an independence of sorts, mm-hmm. right? We were... We were talking off air about our various lottery plans. Uh, I don't know if I ever shared it with you, Matt. My my list of pranks to pull as an eccentric billionaire. Oh no! It's you're, a Google you're Doc. You're going Hodgman on it. <laughs> it's <laughs> a Google Doc. Yeah, it's an old one. Yeah, but I keep it just you know if something occurs. It's good to have sort of a vision board of sorts. And it's also a good idea to give Google a heads up. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. They, you know they'll love. They'll love what I have in store for the planet. Uh, So we are talking about treasure, literal tons of gold stolen during wartime and hidden away. This story takes place in World War II, but it's it's not unique because we know that the chaos left in the wake of global conflicts is for many people an opportunity. What's that old line, chaos is a ladder – I believe that was from Game of Thrones, perhaps. That's, Maybe that's it was Littlefinger. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So Littlefinger was not commenting on the Nazi regime, but uh, for members of the Nazi regime, that statement holds true. Here are the facts. First, first things first. The Nazi party stole not a ton of stuff. They stole tons and tons of things, thousands of tons, millions of tons of stuff. And – It's common knowledge that they looted numerous groups. They took the assets of victims of the Holocaust, of citizens in repressed countries. They 
looted entire banks of countries when they occupied them. Well, yeah, and you can you can kind of begin to understand the pattern uh, when you have an an invading army that goes into one place that is not controlled by you or your government. Then you uh, essentially are victorious militarily. Then the spoils, unfortunately, go to you. And then you use those to then fund the next one that you enter. And it really is like this huge series of bank heists um, mm-hmm. that we can kind of see painted across Europe during World War II. And you know, one thing I noticed is that none of the invading or occupying forces ever took the money that they had and put it towards supporting the people. Yeah. It was always, just as you said, to further fund expansionist ambitions. We know that Germany, when it was under control of the Nazi party, had a real dilemma, a physical limit to the amount of resources that they could generate within their own domain. So they had to they had to get liquidity, they had to get wealth. They were able to get a bunch of gold and they needed help swapping that gold for currency that they could then use to acquire the stuff they needed but didn't have, like high quality iron oil, tungsten, other materials like that. And so they went to the neutral powers, the neutral countries in this conflict like Switzerland. That's going to be one of the stars of our show today. And they asked Swiss banks and Swiss institutions to help them transfer gold, transfer currencies and commodities between nations. Because even though there was a war going on, businesses kept running. Right? Banks mm-hmm. were still in play, very much so. And likely profiting from said war in some ways, right? Absolutely. IBM yeah. as well. It wasn't just banks. Oh, oh, absolutely. But then, you know, you see this as a uh, – the new system that is created for for their money necessities, the, uh, the, Reich, the Third Reich. Mm. And it kind of works for a time, but then – as the – well, it's not – they didn't know the war was coming to a close. But as things weren't going so well for the Axis powers and as the allied powers are gaining more and more allies mm-hmm. and gaining more and more support, uh, it's harder and harder for the Nazi party to use a lot of these third-party neutral countries to do a lot of this fencing essentially. Exactly. Yes. And I love that you're using the phrase fencing because this system was – uh, a system of laundering resources and fencing stolen goods. By 1944, the writing was on the wall. Businesses, governments, Axis and allied powers alike knew that the war was not going to keep going. And Germany became more and more reliant on institutions in Switzerland because other neutral parties started to acquiesce to allied demands and they said, look, we, we've got to put some distance between you. We can't, we can't accept gold and coins right now or specie as they're called. Uh, we also are going to be less and less likely to accept Reichmarks. And now Germany has the option of paying with foreign currency. But it turns out that years of uh, belligerence and militarism often don't leave governments with a lot of foreign currency because they burn a lot of bridges, literally, to the ground. Exactly. So these banks essentially became clearing houses for stolen German gold uh, from numerous occupied countries that could then be converted to a less uh, objectionable form of currency, a medium, if you will. Um, diplomatic cables from the time uh, support this. For example, uh, the fact that the Swiss National Bank actually helped uh, the German Reichsbank convert an estimated 15 million in stolen Dutch gold. Um, and they didn't ask any questions. No. That's the craziest part. <laughs> no. Yeah. They asked. Dude, my bank, my bank asks questions if I deposit more than $5,000. You know, like how it's in, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's insane the level of uh, brazen crookedness in this situation here, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, but it, it's, uh, from an objective stance, it's really messed up because if you are a banking institution, and your primary goals are the primary goals of controlling as much money as possible to be able to pump out more money in loans to then take more money in and you get an offer of $15 million to be deposited. Depending on where it's coming from, maybe it doesn't matter so much. Mm. At least 
I, I don't know. That's really looking at it in a cold way and, and it's, it sucks. <laughs> well, there's um, also plausible deniability, right? Exactly. Who knows? Uh, I, I, yeah, well, we do know kind of with the, through the cables, but, uh, the exact way in which the Swiss bank was approached with the money, right? Right, where they approached via a proxy or something. That's why that's why the Swiss National Bank example is important because it was the actual German state actor bank that yeah. was interacting with them directly. This this is strange because sure, one could say that let's say I'm the head of a Swiss bank. One could say, well, I see so many transactions all the time. We move a lot of a lot of money around the world. We work in volume, baby. I can't be line item checking every single Nazi gold request. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if Swiss bankers are that casual at that time, but we do know this was a very common practice. According to the CIA, German efforts to acquire foreign currency and convert it to war materials became increasingly clandestine as the Allied forces were encroaching and as the war was turning in their favor. Well, it makes total sense, right? And, and it matches right up with our Ratlines episode where, like you said, as they're seeing the writing on the wall, they're going to try and secret away this money just as they secreted away themselves and the uh, important officers and scientists and mm. things. Um, it, you, they wanted to be able to control it later perhaps. Yes, that was the that was the idea and that's what the Allied forces believed was happening. For Germany, a lot of problems cropped up very quickly. They had these long-term exchange agreements, right? We'll give you X amount of whatever over Y amount of years. And in return, you'll give us oil or iron, gas, mm -hmm. et cetera. Now those are impossible. Neutral countries will no longer do them because they're like, why would I agree to do something with you for five years? It's uh, – it's not looking good for you, you know? Mm -hmm. And now the neutral parties will only work with Germany on what they called a cash and carry basis, one-off short-term transactions. Still, for Germany, it's better than nothing, but the the way in which they interacted changed too. They started to want more proxies, more private entities to deal with them so we could say, for instance, oh, well, well wasn't the government of Switzerland. Absolutely. Or, or it wasn't even this major bank. It was like a smaller part of this bank. A subsidiary of yeah. some sort. Right. And this gives allied observers some pause and they start to believe that there is a conspiracy they think perhaps the German forces are pretending to fall, pretending to surrender, and that they will re-aggregate all the stuff they have stolen and they will launch a Fourth Reich. And to, to listeners who've been here for a while, that may remind you of the long game deception ideas that were born out of the Cold War and the fall of the Soviet Union. Um, you kind of, you could kind of apply the same deals. At least that's what the CIA was believed. Exactly, and that's why the United Kingdom and the United States launched Operation Safe Haven, which we'll we'll explore a little bit further. But for now, just know it exists. And Operation Safe Haven and, and other endeavors were somewhat successful. We found some of the stolen treasure. We recovered some of the gold. In 1944, in December, when Allied forces created Safe Haven, they wanted to – they didn't want to take it for themselves, yeah. at least the way it was stated. Instead, what they were trying to do was find the hidey holes, the bolt holes of treasure hidden away by German forces in neutral countries. And then they would take that money and they would move these funds to what they called safe havens. These would be British or American humanitarian organizations most often. Uh, and this was meant to, sure, assist those organizations in their humanitarian endeavors. But it was also meant to disperse Nazi wealth, to leave no financial stone standing upon another financial stone. They wanted to cripple any further attempts to resurrect the regime. 
and the, you know, there are some people listening saying, oh, you know, the language that's used in creating something like Operation Safe Haven, even the term Safe Haven, when it's being transferred to a country with such a large military force that is kind of going through and then dominating, right? Mm -hmm. And then saying, oh, we're going to take all of this stuff. We're going to put it over, you know, in places that we control, but it's going to be safe there. You guys are cool. Everything's fine. It goes to a good cause. Yeah, everything's great. Uh, it's not the same thing as what the Nazis just did and took it all and then, you know, hid it away for their own purposes. I pr- we promise. It's fine. It's called a safe haven. Right. You know, and, and you can just see the parallels there depending on how you feel about the operations of the United States government. Anyway, I'm just putting that out there. I think that's an excellent point. And there's a massive hole in this story. Because, you see, despite the efforts of the Allies, no one was able to locate all of the stolen gold, all of the stolen art and other assets looted from Germany's victims. In fact, in 1966, the British Foreign Office reported that of all the gold stolen from occupied lands, victims of the Holocaust, war casualties, and so on, only one-tenth of it, only 10%, had ever been located and returned. So our question today is where did the rest of the treasure go? And we'll get to that right after a word from our sponsor. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zigazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Zigazoo is moderated by real live people who review content before it's posted on the feed. (laughs) I especially love the dance challenges. So much fun. Oh, and there's no comments or messaging, so you don't get any of that negativity that's all over other social networks. All my friends love it. I love that it's Kids Safe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Uh, that's great, but I wouldn't be doing Zigazoo if it wasn't fun. She would not be doing it if I didn't think her data was safe. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids! (laughs) Download the Zigazoo app today. There's plenty to celebrate in March and Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. What up, everyone? It's Lunchbox from the Bobby Bone Show, and I'm here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get you anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Here's where it gets crazy. So since pretty much right after the close of World War II, even a little bit before the war ended, there were multiple rumors and conspiracy theories about Nazi gold, and they popped in and out of official reports and your favorite mainstream news and your your favorite investigative documentaries and stuff. Ever since, they still... 
They still come out today. I'm Yeah, the History Channel loves it. Yeah, I was going to say I'm fairly certain that you can turn on the History Channel this weekend and, I don't know, have a 30%, 40% chance of, of running into a Nazi gold story. Oh, yeah. I mean, I literally watched a clip from a show called Codes and Conspiracies where it was a clip about one of the things we're going to talk about today. And it wasn't uh, that long ago when it came out. And here's the thing about it. These rumors and these um, these stories, these alleged locations of this lost treasure, they may vary in plausibility. But it's so fascinating to people because there are proven cases of this stuff being discovered. And there are also cases where this stuff seems to almost have been discovered and then poof, disappeared from the news. Yeah. And that's when you get into real suspicion about things like Operation Safe Haven, where you're, where you're just like, uh, man, 90% of this stuff is still out there? We don't – are we sure? You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. <laughs> oh, man. Um, should we talk about some examples? Sure. So how about the SS Minden? Right. Yeah, the German cargo ship scuttled near Iceland during the early days of World War II. So this is before the close. It was suspected to contain this huge trove of Nazi gold. Well, how about we uh, we cite one of our favorite sources, Fox News. I put I know I know in the notes it's, there. It's, it's yeah. true. It's a, good, it's a good article, it though. Is. Uh, well, you know, they're not all – yeah, whatever. Uh, so this uh, merchant vessel, 120 nautical miles south of Iceland, was in the international spotlight after um, – a chest with a, around four tons of Nazi gold was discovered in the wreckage. Four tons of Nazi gold. Four tons of Nazi gold. Does that mean it, like in the movies, does the Nazi gold have uh, swastikas on it? How do they identify oh, as how, Nazi how gold? It was stamped. stamped. Yeah. Maybe? Unclear? I mean, you would certainly know if you found it that way. Well, sure, also sure it depends would. on the provenance of the gold. If they stole yeah. it from another country, right. they would probably was, yeah. have that stamp That's what too. I was thinking, exactly. Um, so this haul was uh, valued at um, around 100 million pounds, uh, which as we know is, is, is more than, than dollars. I think if this is a story from 2018, and they estimated it as 113 million U.S. Yep, dollars. exactly. Uh, and yeah. Okay, here's the official story of what happened. On September 24th, 1939, the ship was intercepted by two British cruisers, and the captain of the Menden had specific orders for this situation, which was do not be captured or do not let the cargo be captured. So he sank the ship on purpose with everything aboard. And the shipwreck was discovered or rediscovered, I should say, in spring of 2017. Mm -hmm. And then things get a little fuzzy because they had to get permission from the authorities in Iceland to investigate the wreckage and they conduct they eventually in 2018 were able to search it for about 3 days and then after that operation the search team a UK based company called Advanced Marine Services said to Iceland that no items of value were found course, again, that's the official story, and there are going to be a lot of people who just won't believe those folks regardless of the facts. So this, this one is interesting because now we have to ask ourselves, did somebody take the safe or the chest before the official search? Why was the search so stymied by bureaucratic red tape? You know? Yeah, I know. It makes you think maybe there's a small group of rogue treasure hunters out there that got there first. Or Bjork. <laughs> okay. Or Bjork. Or maybe she's, you know what, I don't want to pigeonhole her. I'm going to get the treasure. The treasure. <laughs> I like the gold. You'll go deep into the waters and find the hidden gems. And they will be guarded by the king of the sea. I yeah, know. that sounds like Bjork, yeah. So what we're going to see as we explore some more of these examples is that like a lot of conspiracy theories or rumors or speculation, there's a uh, categorical thing at play. Certain tropes pop up over and over. The gold's usually said to be hidden in banks, held by the Vatican, of course, or lost in some place that's difficult to access, like a sunken vessel at the bottom of the ocean or a mine, for instance. That was then collapsed on purpose or something where it's very, very difficult, if not impossible, to, to get there. So, right. so let's, you, you mentioned the V word. Let's uh let's let's talk about the Vatican and why they perhaps are a viable suspect for uh, where some of this treasure ended up. Oh, okay. Yeah, so 
the U.S. State Department back in 1946, shortly after the war's closed, receives this top secret report from an agent named Emerson Bigelow. And Emerson says, I have heard from the OSS, the predecessor to the CIA, that there is something rotten going on with the Vatican and Nazi gold from World War II or Nazi finances at least. And this this report is later called the Bigelow Report. Sometimes you'll hear it called the Bigelow Memo. It wasn't declassified until decades later in 1996 and it wasn't released until 1997. Here's what the report says. It says, back in 1944, the Vatican took 350 million Swiss francs worth of Nazi gold for, quote-unquote, safekeeping. And uh, of that, 150 million Swiss francs have been impounded by British authorities at the uh, Austro-Swiss border. So where, where did all this stuff go? What is safekeeping? What is the safe haven, right? Yeah. According to Bigelow, uh, the safe haven here is a numbered Swiss bank account. In, controlled by the Vatican, and that, and Bigelow goes on to say that more than 200 million Swiss francs worth of gold coins are transferred to Vatican City or to the Vatican Bank, which is known as the Institute for Works of Religion, with the assistance of the clergy. And then uh, it goes on to state that perhaps, or it's believed at least, that then this money was funneled to places like Argentina and Brazil where, again, it's the same thing where we, where we looked at in our rat, uh, Ratlines episode mm-hmm. where the Vatican was assisting people or at least was alleged to be assisting people and found to be assisting people a few times, um, Nazis in particular, to get to places like Argentina and Brazil. Yeah, and, uh, you know, we were careful in that episode to say this doesn't mean the Vatican overall was doing it. It could be factions within this very large organization. But representatives of the Vatican at the very least helped. Uh, We should note that even today the Vatican Bank denies this. They say there is no basis in reality to the report, to the Bigelow memo. So it goes down to, you know, who who you trust. To safekeep. To safekeep. Who do you trust to safekeep? Uh, there's, a, there's a weird situation going on in Bavaria that we found via The Sun. And The Sun is the sun is not a source that I would quote if I were writing a high school or college paper. Uh, but they've got that kind of uh, tabloid vibe sometimes. Right. It's like on par with the mail maybe, the Daily, yeah, Daily mail. mail. Yep, exactly. But there's, there's a great story that they tell – about a treasure hunter named Hans Gluck. Hans Gluck is... You know what Gluck means? What does Gluck mean? Luck. Oh! G-L-U-E-C-K? Oh, Oh, cool. Well, Hans Luck then, Hans Gluck, uh, was 76 back in 2017, and he'd been searching for this trove of gold, diamonds, artwork, and, for some reason, rare postage stamps, which is still a big thing, for 20 years. He has, based on an old map that he found, uh, he, has, he has become certain that he's pinpointed this Nazi treasure that was lost on a train. Here's, here's what happened, according to him and according to The Sun. During the close of the war, Heinrich Himmler greenlit this bank heist. Like you said, Matt, he, he greenlit an inside job bank heist and he told his deputy, a fellow named Ernst Kaltenbrunner, to empty the Berlin Reichsbank of loot and put it all on a train and send it to the Alps. And they thought, you know, after the war is officially declared over, we'll still be able to fight, we'll be funded by this treasure, we'll essentially be guerrillas. You know, we'll, mm-hmm. we'll move in the night, we'll hide behind the trees, we'll, we'll disrupt enemy uh, supply lines and so on. And they wanted to have the train cross the border into Austria and then they would store all this stuff from the train in a salt mine. But the Russians were advancing. The Allied aircraft were just clobbering the place. So the train hid in a tunnel for three days, and the SS there had a had a functioning radio post nearby in the forest at a place called Iraq, A R R A C H, 
And according to Hans Gluck, this is where the treasure ultimately ended up. We, we know that at some point the train was, you know, stuck in that tunnel, right? But we don't know what happened to the treasure after it. We do know that Soviet troops were able to intercept a report from that Nazi radio post. And the report simply read in German something like, Command executed, transport of guards taken over, stored in BSCHW, ask for further instructions. It all hinges on what that abbreviation means. Yeah, it really does. Well, and, and, you know, if you go through and you read that whole story on the sun, it's one of, like Ben said, it's one of those that feels a little far-fetched. But again, anytime there are seeds of truth within something like this, I don't think you can all out dismiss it, right? I mean, just, I I would recommend, hey, go over to the sun, check out gold nine, N-E-I-N, which just means gold no. And it says treasure hunter finds $500 million worth of gold, Nazi gold in a Bavarian forest, but landowner won't let him dig it up. Right, right. Just a little more about the story. Because yeah, 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 we yeah, do yeah. know it is we do know that there was some treasure in play. Because the guy we mentioned, Colton Brunner, he gets away for a time. He goes to Austria, where he's from, and he's not arrested until May twelfth, nineteen forty-five. But in the garden at his house, like buried I think in in a beet patch, they find seventy-six kilograms of gold in six gold bars. And that's that's clearly a case of like how much can I physically carry with me when yes, I'm running? Cash and carry. Cash and carry, yes, just so. And Carlton Brunner was found guilty of war crimes at Nuremberg. He was executed on October 16th. He never told anybody where the loot went. But Gluck was contacted by an old man with a strange tale about an SS officer shipped to Siberia who had sewn a uh, a map of sorts into the lining of his coat. And this is what led Gluck off on his merry adventure, his frustrating chase. Right now, as you can tell from the title that Matt just read, uh, as far as we can see – the excavation or the search is still being held up because the person who owns the property says, you know, hey, I'm maybe I'll find it. Or Hans Gluck is accusing them of that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and just so – I mean it's so interesting the way this kind of thing plays out. It feels like the watch story – from uh, pulp, uh, not pulp, pulp fiction. fiction. Yeah, it is pulp fiction. Yeah. The where it's this thing, this map in this case, instead of a watch. And and again, there are no um, cavities involved necessarily, other than the cavity in the coat, I guess. Uh, but it, but it's an important thing that got passed down and passed down because you know it went from this guy who was important enough that he knew he was going to get killed as soon as he entered a camp, gave it to another POW, and like in hopes that it would make it back somewhere to someone. Mm-hmm. Um, and now it went to this other guy, and now he's searching for the treasure, but it's on this other person's land. And he just can't go in there and, you know, dig up things willy-nilly or even follow the map to exactly where it is because he wouldn't be able to dig it up because he wouldn't own it. It would be the, a great plot for a film, right? Yeah. And we have more examples ahead, including some that are a little closer to home after a word from our sponsors. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media, but now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Before I found Zigazoo, I believed all social media was inappropriate for kids, but I feel great about my kids being on Zigazoo. Videos are moderated by actual people before being added to the feed. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about mean comments on your kids' videos. And you need parental consent before joining Zigazoo. Bottom line, it's a space that prioritizes data safety for kids. Oh, but don't take my word for it. Zigazoo is KidSafe COPPA certified. So weigh everything Zigazoo has to offer 
maybe you'll zigzag too. Zigazoo, a social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Hey guys, Mario Lopez here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit biotoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Let's talk about Lake Toplets. All right, Lake Toplets. It's a fun name, right? It's mm-hmm. also the source of a World War II legend. According to the story, the Nazi party dumped billions of dollars worth of stolen gold somewhere around to the tune of $5.6 billion worth into an isolated lake, Lake Toplets, in a forest in the Alps. Yeah, and History.com reports that in the 40s, uh, the Nazis actually used this lake as a testing site for naval equipment and the mountains around it as a, a series of strongholds. Well, more, I guess, retreats kind of you could say mm-hmm. for their military officers. Then in 59, investigators found 700 million pounds worth of counterfeit banknotes that Hitler actually had a pretty sinister plan to use to uh, sabotage Britain's economy. Mm-hmm. In what way do you think, Ben? Um, to like, flood, to it, with flood it with cash. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And then the cash would be worthless. If the notes are good enough, there's no way to discern the fake ones from the real ones. Isn't yeah. that one of those conspiracy theories? People are always talking about China. Like China could do that, devalue our currency by flooding because they've like stockpiled all this American currency and they could like – affect our economy by like flooding us with with cash. Yeah, but that's a different kind of thing. In in this case, imagine the chaos of $700 million just being at play now that you know is counterfeit. Oh, it's or counterfeit. You, you don't even know how much is, is out there. Like if you're on the allied side or the United States side, you would have no idea how much is actually in the system. Mm-hmm. But you would know that, oh my God, a great portion of the exchanges that are occurring within our economy right now are happening with phony money. And now every single transaction is going to have to... Called into question, kind yeah, of. Yeah, exactly. got it, got it, got it. Especially given how fragile the British economy is at the time because, you know, London had been bombed mm-hmm. left and right uh, and it was definitely in a recovery period. The, the interesting thing about uh, what you said, Noel, regarding uh, the, the idea of currency devaluing it's not a theory. It could happen. Uh, the only difference would be that the assets the government of China would hold in that situation would be real and not counterfeit. The best counterfeit notes, though, U.S. notes, are from that part of the world. They're the North Korean super notes. According to the Treasury Department, the way you can tell a North Korean super note from a real $100 bill is that the super note looks better. <laughs> it's like a better bill. We did a story on Ridiculous History about this very thing where there was a very crafty gentleman. It was in Spain, I believe. I can't remember now. He figured out a way to counterfeit money and then did flood it. And he actually single-handedly kind of wrecked the economy of Portugal is where it was. Yeah, yeah. He's the uh, Portuguese banknote crisis. 
And actually, our show for that is the top result in Google when I search for it. Well, that's nice. cool. It was uh, Arthur Alves Reyes mm-hmm. who was the mastermind behind this. But very similar scheme, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't – he wasn't trying to wreak havoc. It just kind of was a byproduct of his greed and he uh, – uh, basically single-handedly toppled the banking system of Portugal in 1925. Wow. And this this had nothing on what Hitler had planned, right? And we have to wonder how this would have played out. So there was some kind of treasure found already, Lake Toplitz, and that was uh, 700 million pounds worth of counterfeit notes. As for the other stuff, as for billions of dollars of gold, that has yet to be found today. However... We do have a case of uh, some of this Nazi gold actually being found. It was a real thing, a real conspiracy to hide it. Oh, yes. And this takes us back to Operation Safe Haven as it was uh, as it was not really beginning, but it was in full play here. And there were a, a group of – it's actually a really large number of the United States Army, the 3rd Army, 90th Infantry Division – they're in Merkers, Germany, okay? And it's it's as the war is ending, they're kind of doing cleanup. They're trying to find gold during Operation Safe Haven, as we mentioned before. And it's April 5th, 1945. And some military police from, uh, from this division, they – come upon two refugees, essentially. They're, they're called displaced persons. They're from France. Uh, according to A.H. Uh, C, they were two female uh, French citizens mm-hmm. who were displaced. And there was a large amount of gold that had been transferred and been moved out and then moved near Merkers somewhere, but nobody could, you know, verify any of these. They're just rumors, right? They just knew that there were frequently trucks that were loaded with some sort of precious object, uh, and these trucks were coming continually during the night. Yeah, and they were going to a very specific place. And it was this mine uh, near Merkers. It was a potassium mine, of all things. And uh, these women, these two displaced persons from France said, yeah, oh, do you, you guys know about that mine, right, with all that gold in it, right? You guys know about that? And that's all it took, really. They decided, okay, we're going to go check this out. And uh, they they found their way. By the way, General Eisenhower and General Patton were a part of this little mission to go down into the mine and try and see what's down there. Yeah, and Patton has Patton has his own crazy scheme uh, that, <laughs> that we can maybe mention at the end here. But what do they find when they when they go into the mine? Well, a whole crap ton of gold, seven thousand sacks of gold, bullion to be precise, um, in an underground area that was around 75 feet deep and 150 feet wide. Um, and the mine also had 98 million francs, French francs. Uh, and um, the There's also a, a ton of gold coin that right. was recovered down yeah, there, yeah. separate from the bullion. And this absolute smorgasbord of currency um, wasn't even the most alarming thing that they found down there. They also found luggage with gold fillings that had been extracted from, yeah, you guessed it, concentration camp uh, detainees. And you can actually see some film that was taken around uh, or of that time of uh, what they found there, a lot of still photographs, some, like I said, film. And it uh, I, I don't even know how to describe it. Unless you unless you see it, you won't understand. It's such a large container of the gold from human beings' mouths. Yeah, and this this was a real thing. I, I think a lot of people, when they first learned of this at the close of World War II, uh, I think a lot of people thought maybe it was propaganda or maybe it was. Um, an unnecessary exaggeration, but it was not propaganda. It was not an exaggeration. They were taking people's wedding rings, their watches. They were literally taking metal out of people's teeth. And this plunder, this Nazi gold story, we usually see reports of it being squirreled away somewhere in Europe, right, in a Mm -hmm. mine or in a Swiss bank or in the Vatican, or we see it maybe, as you said, Matt, being uh, wired or transported somehow to South America, right, which also is very plausible. But we don't often talk about the plunder closer to home. The United States is also guilty of these types of 
nefarious clandestine activities. In 1997, the New York Times reported this, this following claim. Quote, in 1950, the Federal Reserve Bank of New York melted down hundreds of gold bars bearing the swastika imprint and recast them with a pristine stamp bearing the words, United States Assay Office. At the time, according to memos from the Fed, the U.S. Treasury knew that a lot of the gold, worth about $23 million at the time, had been stolen from the Netherlands and Belgium when they were invaded by Germany. Ah, Operation Safe Haven. <laughs> right. But th- this is like, you know, this is 1950. Uncle Sam is not really asking questions, just like the Swiss banks, just like the uh, the other collaborating forces that we publicly despised. The U.S. is just taking the money and running. The rationale here is that Uncle Sam is primarily concerned with rebuilding Europe at this time rather than investigating the ethical quandaries and the provenance of this stolen loot. But back to New York Times. At the request of the National City Bank, which later became Citibank, the Treasury Department authorized the reissue of the gold. And that was, according to this reporter, a polite phrase for purifying it and wiping out the German markings so the gold could be used as collateral for a transaction between Spain and the ITT Corporation. They were trying to build a telephone system. But here's the other problem. It gets more uncomfortable. Yeah, boy, does it ever. Uh, The Germans' mint um, was known for taking gold that German troops stole from central banks all over Europe and then melted them down together with those uh, more grisly um, examples of plunder, the tooth fillings, um, things like wedding rings and other jewelry that was looted from um, people who were interned in those concentration camps, those death camps, victims. Uh, Germany's goal was to put these lifted items into a form that was a lot harder to trace and then could be laundered through the Swiss National Bank. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, and um, it, it's hard to really know how much of the kind of gold that we're talking about that came from victims from concentration camps actually made it into each individual gold bullion bar or uh, each each coin that was then minted uh, in Germany – But we do know it happened Mm -hmm. and we do know that kind of gold was also just anecdotally smelted down to create fillings for SS officers. That was a real thing that occurred. Hitler's own uh, dentist, the guy that he used, would do that. Uh, And of course, it's not proven. Uh, There are rumors all over the place that specifically gold from other people's mouths ended up in Hitler's mouth. Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But but just the feeling that you're probably getting just from knowing some of that, that perhaps this gold that the United States melted down and purified was actually from victims from concentration camps. Perhaps. Perhaps. Right. We'll also have to note that the purification process, the re-smelting uh, conducted by the government likely – wiped out all traces of what historians call – I hate this euphemism, but that's, this is the euphemism people use – non-monetary gold, mm. uh, you know, because it's gold that was never meant to be currency. But if we think about it, that means that the U.S. had literally taken blood money, gold ripped from people's mouths. And there are there, – there are more – I know a lot of us listening today are saying – Guys, you have to talk about the Nazi gold train. So a quick mention of that. There's a local legend in Poland that a train laden with gold had disappeared in May of 1945. Now the area is part of Poland, but previously when this took place, it was southeast Germany. People have searched for the train ever since World War II. No evidence of a train has been found. You'll hear historians say that the train never existed. And in 2015, it was back in the news because people thought that they had discovered the location of the train. In the course of that search, it turned out they had discovered something. It was a cavity in the rock filled by a natural ice formation. So no train Ah. that we know of. But Uh, maybe there is a mythical train made of gold this time. It was uh, not just a train that had gold in it or was carrying gold. Maybe there's a mythical golden train out there somewhere that we'll learn about. It's called the Hogwarts Express. Aha! Uh, that's a reference. I don't know if that's 
made of gold. <laughs> um, yeah, this is some disturbing stuff. Well, let's okay. Let's get down to just uh, when we're thinking about all of this. We, we you know we just mentioned blood money, mm-hmm. uh, the concept of that very real sense of blood money. But when you're thinking about wars and profiting from having physical conflicts like that with other countries or other places with other people and then gaining from that all those altercations and those deaths and and the blood that is spilled um it, this kind of thing it, like we maybe maybe we forget because we're so inundated in like our culture in particular in the United States of war movies a lot of times that are to a great extent glorified, mm-hmm. like the the concept of fighting a good fight, fighting for good, fighting the on the right generation. side. Um, but but really, just any time there's war and profit generated, it should feel for everyone on every side like an icky thing. I think. Well, here's the crazy thing, man. I mean, I I distinctly remember, you know, after nine eleven, the idea of we're going to war being a big deal in my mind and thinking it was going to have some effect on my day-to-day life. But we've been at war for so long as a country that it's sort of – you're sort of numb to it and you don't really – we're so isolated from it in our daily lives that it's very difficult unless you have military in your family to have a real ramification of these conflicts, which if I would argue, I think and many most would agree – are largely for profit. The notion of staying in a perpetual state of war feeds that machine, you know? Well, let's get let's just get to Afghanistan and what uh, we learned in previous episodes about the poppy fields. Oh yes, poppy production which was waning under the Taliban exploded under uh US under U.S. supervision uh, during the coalition during control. The right, right. Uh, the idea being it's the best cash crop. U.S. soldiers were tasked with protecting the opium, fe- the poppy fields rather. Uh, let's – Were the oil fields in Iraq? Sorry, I don't want so to keep – I mean it, we, we keep seeing it at yeah. least from the United States side. Well, sure, from every side. You know, It goes into uh, Smedley Butler's idea of war as a racket. Economic confessions of an economic hitman, the concept that war may be an economic necessity for certain types of governments or societies. And this money goes missing all of the time. We've barely touched on things like we didn't talk about the Amber Room, right? That's yeah. missing too. We didn't talk about uh, Himmler's $93 million worth of silver. We didn't talk about Lake Vulcan. It, apparently, Germans hit $100 million in gold there too. There are laundry lists of hidden or stolen gold and valuables and that kind of practice didn't stop when the Nazi party collapsed, there was a pallet with what a billion dollars that just went missing in the Middle East. Yeah, uh, don't, don't talk about that. No, oh, I'm just kidding. Sorry, we did, Matt. didn't we? Do a whole episode on that, or at least uh, I know we talked about it. We did, we did uh, talk about it. Length. Yeah, and we've always known that war and profit are inextricably intertwined. We know things continue to disappear. Uh, this this is just – by the way, when we say money continues to disappear, yeah. we're just talking about the money that people lost. We're not talking about the money that never really existed due to black budgets and off-the-book spending. Oh, my god. And, you know, not to mention, by the way, all the arms deals that occur across the globe from one country to another. Good point. I mean that – I mean you want to talk about blood money, it's right there. That's true. That's absolutely Future true. Future blood money. Blood money that's going to be cashed out. And some people will argue this is just uh, an unpleasant, necessary piece of the global financial system. And some people would respond to that argument by saying, well, why don't we make uh, another system? For some people, the problem is that there's not a problem. Business is very, very good. Yeah. Uh, you know, I just just this is an anecdote, but I just watched Fight Club for the first time in a long time mm-hmm. and had a discussion w- about it and that feeling of why not just make a new system, right? Um, in that movie, there's depictions of people wanting to make a new system, but that concept of tearing one down to create a new one, 
is pretty terrifying. Um, at least uh, now that I'm in my mid thirties. <laughs> right. I've already been. I've already been like you know uh, paying into the current system for so many years now. I can't start over. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's weird the way that kind of feeling happens. But I I I would be right there with you that that feeling is pretty pervasive. Of something needs to change because the system is not functioning properly. Harumph, harumph, harumph. Yeah. Something must be done. There you go. But yeah. no one agrees what. We want to hear from you. What do you think? How much truth is there to these different claims of hidden Nazi treasure? Is there more of this treasure somewhere out there in this wide world of ours? The answer, I think, is yes. And I also, I'm going to go a step further, pure speculation. I think not only is some of that stolen stuff still out there, it is accounted for by people who have just held on to it or profited from it. And they're not going to come forward because why would you? You're a war criminal at that point. Well, and decades have passed by this point that maybe it's not even known like by current heads of banks or, you know, uh, board members or something, if this stuff is secreted away somewhere in a vault, maybe it's not known what it is because maybe it was smelted down just like the United States allegedly did. I don't know. I think you're right, Ben. I think you're right. Last thing, just for an example, I've got to mention this because it was so bizarre to learn about this. George Patton, we mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. uh, had a plan to use Nazi gold to fund the U.S. military after the, after the war. Patton, after discovering that uh, salt mine treasure, yes. he sat down with some army generals later that night and they said, okay, how do we handle this? And Patton's first suggestion off the top, he was coming in hot, man. He said, let's distribute the gold to the boys. He wanted, quote, uh, some gold for every son of a bitch in the third army. And they said, no, you can't do that. We have yeah. to. We have to follow some sort of law. And then he said, "Okay, well, if we can't just give it away to the boys, let's keep it a secret from the Congress and from the generals who aren't cool." Wow, it didn't work. I love that he used the phrase "generals who aren't cool." <laughs> yeah, that's that. That part might be paraphrasing, <laughs> but we know that there's still. We know there's still stuff that's being discovered. Uh, There was uh, $1.8 billion worth of art discovered in a Munich apartment in 2012. People are still finding things. That was not very long ago. So what do you think about all of this stuff? If you, you have other examples that we should talk about that are noteworthy, let us know. You can find us on Facebook or Twitter where we are Conspiracy Stuff. We are Conspiracy Stuff Show on Instagram. Yeah, if you want to check us out individually, you can find me at How Now Noel Brown. I think, Maddie, you got one now, don't you? Uh, yeah, I do. Oh. But you're going to have to go back through the, the archives and find that one time that we said it. Really? Yeah. It's like that, huh? It's All like right. that. How about you, Ben? I am going to be on a number of strange excursions uh, over the next few weeks. Hopefully, I will make it back safe and sound. You can find what I'm up to, where I'm getting kicked into or kicked out of on Instagram, at Ben Bolin. Or you can find terrible one-liners and hot takes on Twitter, at Ben Bolin, HSW. If you don't really care for the social meds, we of all people get it. We have a number you can call. We are 1-833-STDWYTK. Leave a message, tell us what you think, and you might get on the air. It's a nice little jingle you got there. Yeah, there, there you go. So give us a call. We'll, we'll hear it, and it'll be fun. Hey, if you don't want to do any of that stuff, you can also send us a good old-fashioned email. We are conspiracy at iheartradio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids just like yours. And all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.